is the Storymobile podcast. We are a solar-powered moving art space that travels to events and through neighborhoods to collect your stories. The St. Paul Almanac book was created in 2005 and has since been released annually. The goal is to bring together the diverse community of St. Paul through literary arts. The Almanac is a meeting place for sharing stories and artwork of our community. This year, the St. Paul Almanac released their 11th volume, On a Collected Path. As part of a reading festival, authors have gathered at various venues throughout St. Paul to read their fabulous work. On Saturday, May 13th, readers gathered at the Union Depot's Java Express coffee shop to read their pieces from St. Paul Almanac's Volume 11, On a Collected Path. Hello, everyone, and thanks for coming out to the Union Depot here, Java Express, to celebrate the new 11th edition of the St. Paul Almanac. It looks like this. I'm sure most of you have uh, had a chance to see it already. Um, it's, it's, it's really excellent uh, format this year. Um, I really like it. And uh, if you've seen it but you do not yet have a copy or would like additional copies, I have some available for sale, $20 uh, cash or check. So please come see me um, after the uh, reading. Uh, before we begin, uh, I want to give a, a special thanks to the St. Paul Almanac uh, for putting on this series and to uh, Kimberly Nightingale for, um, uh, for all, all, all her work with the Almanac. <laughs> um, I always enjoy doing these these readings every year uh, because the St. Paul Almanac really um, really helps me feel connected to to my community and uh, and uh, to the uh, the city of St. Paul, um, not just the existing community but also the the uh, history of St. Paul and what it means um, uh, to be part of a community, what it means for other people uh, to be part of a community. I think it really brings people together. Um, uh, li uh, literature has always been a very important part of culture and community, and I think that this is a great uh, blend of um, uh, culture, history, but yet, uh, you know, our, our local community as well. Okay, I think we'll uh, we'll get started here with the reading. Um, just to, uh, first, I'll I'll go over the readers uh, in the order lineup, so you know uh, which order you're going. Uh, today we have reading uh, Danny Klecko, Barbara Jones, Marianne Corbett, Nancy Cox. Margaret Hassey and Dinah, Donna Isaac. Uh, is Barbara Jones here? Barbara, oh, hello. <laughs> okay, um, I think that's everyone, so let's get started. Uh, first up is Danny Klecko. Danny Klecko has been baking bread for St. Paul for three decades. The CEO of St. Agnes Bakery, he lives with Russian supermodel Suma Gleno in stately Klecko Manor on Summit Avenue. He has over 80 tattoos and loves St. Paul's people with all his heart and soul. Please welcome Danny. Thank you, Mr. Stein. Thank you, St. Paul Almanac, and thank you to the Java Express. What a delight. It only took me like forever to get here, but I'm reading at my first St. Paul Almanac applaud. <laughs> you know, it's easy for me to write poems about my, uh, my, about my wife and about my daughter, but men, maybe you can relate to this. Uh, it's really hard for me to write about my son. This is the one that works. Uh, it's entitled, and I've reduced it, Defending the Capital City. If 
You were in the parking lot of Washburn High School the night some guy in a bread truck kept honking his horn. I'll confess that was me. That year, 2009, was exciting for my family. In addition to my daughter getting married, my son Titus was named captain of the Highland Scots football team. Other than the season's opening loss to Como Park, everything turned out storybook that season. My son's 18th birthday was on the same day as his school's homecoming game. The Scots were hosting their arch rival Central in a game that would determine who would be conference champion. The winners would go on the road to Minneapolis and face the Washburn Millers for the Twin Cities Championship. Both Central and Highland played their hearts out, but in the end, the underdog Scott sealed the victory with a last-second interception. My son and his teammates stormed the field. It was the first time their program had beaten Central in years. That night, before the Twin Cities Championship, Titus put on his headphones and stood in the kitchen, rocking back and forth. He was cut off from the world. My wife dismissed the behavior to adrenaline and boredom, but I knew exactly what he was doing, envisioning victory. He understood all campaigns are one before they start. On the night of the Twin Cities Championship, the Scots were in control throughout the game. The result wasn't as close as the score might indicate, but it still might have been the longest 60 minutes of my life. As the players left the field, Titus sought me out to tell me he wanted to catch a ride if I was willing to stick around. So I waited and waited for my son until he returned and hopped in. As he leaned back, I half expected to see a look of elation. Instead, he projected calm while apologizing, explaining that his coach concluded the season with a lengthy, heartfelt speech. When I asked what he said, Titus explained they got the when I run into you guys five years from now, this better not be the best thing that ever happened to you speech. The message was nice, and I appreciated the coach's sentiment. But as we pulled out of that parking lot, it occurred to me that fathers are accountable to their sons. So I told my son the truth. Kiddo. On the last game of your high school football career, not only did you win a championship, but you gave St. Paul bragging rights for the next year by beating the best Minneapolis had to offer, even if you won a Nobel Peace Prize or discovered the cure to cancer, it wouldn't mean as much. <laughs> My son smiled and remained silent for the rest of the ride home. He was glad the whole thing was over and hasn't discussed it since. Thank you. Next up, we have Barbara Jones. Barbara Jones was born in St. Paul 63 years ago and lives here, here still. 
A graduate of the University of Minnesota and William Mitchell College of Law, she's the editor of Minnesota Lawyer Newspaper. Please welcome Barbara. Good afternoon. Thank you to the Almanac. Thank you all for coming. Uh, it's, it's very nostalgic to be in the depot. I used to come here as a little kid with my parents and look at the trains and eat at the big cafeteria. It's still beautiful like it was then, but quieter. <coughs> I have two poems. The first one is called Glitter in the Prairie. One winter, the earrings flew away, launched by scarves wrapped twice around the neck. Telephones not smart enough to leave earrings alone knocked them off. They immediately vanished. Women stopped brushing their hair during the day and felt their earlobes repetitiously. Somewhere there is a field where an earring landed on each stalk of grass as it swished in the sun and stayed. Gold and silver, beads and crystal glitter in the prairie. Magpies resist the bling and the earrings grow a mate. They will return somehow, like apples in autumn. Just wait. Thank you. Uh, my other poem is about F. Scott Fitzgerald. If you are interested in F. Scott Fitzgerald, there is a new book coming out, F. Scott Fitzgerald in Minnesota, his writers and friends at home. It's been published by the Scott Fitzgerald Society. So, <coughs> Uh, is launching on May 24th. Anyway, the name of this poem is Self-Pity and the Great Gatsby. Uh, and the last line is, the last line of the poem is uh, the last line of uh, Farewell to Arms by Ernest Hemingway. Self-Pity and the Great Gatsby. Almost everyone at this reading is older than Scott Fitzgerald was when he died. 44. More middle to more than middle-aged men than I expect for the great Gatsby. I'm guilty of cliched thinking. Stereotype busters, they surely don't have closets full of pink, yellow, blue, lavender shirts. They are wearing jeans and work boots, and many of them look as if they agree that there are no second acts in American lives. They probably think I look the same, tired. The difficulty about second acts is that they're sometimes brutal. Remember the gun on the mantle in the first act? It fires in the second. And Scott finds himself writing for movies, oh rat, fiddly dee, and surprising booksellers who thought he'd died. Nothing would be as big as the Ritz again, ever. It was too late for the green light's magic. And my second act, I'm not paralyzed, although the doctors said I should be. And I'm just so grateful all the damn time for that. Isn't it pretty to think so? Thank you. Next up, we have Marianne Corbett. 
Marianne has lived in St. Paul for 30 years and recently retired from 35 years of work for the Minnesota Legislature. She's the author of three books of poems. Her most recent book, Medieval, won the Richard Wilbur Award and is published by the University of Evansville Press. Please welcome Marianne. And thank you, David, and thank you, Almanac. As David said, I worked for the Minnesota Legislature for almost 35 years, and for most of those 35 years, we didn't have the marvelous green line. So in all weathers, I took the bus, and I saw a lot of things taking the bus, and a lot of my poetry is about the things I saw. This is one of those things, and it's titled, to the statue of F. Scott Fitzgerald in Rice Park, seen from the 53B. <laughs> in a December morning's stingy light, you look from where I sit like one of us, one more commuter if a bit abstracted, staring off to the south, the river bluffs. It's only your intensity of stillness that tips us off. An artwork, not a man. That and the fact that in sub-zero wind chill, your head is bare. Fedora in your hand, overcoat draped serenely on an arm, up to the middle of your calves in snow, snow in the crease of your jazz age center parked a dapper sort of derelict. You're too exposed for these hard times. It looks like penance, like something we've condemned you to, this state of stolid dailiness, feet on the ground. No plinth, no pedestal, no sort of height. Just one of us again, as plain as that, Nothing like the shine of your first great run, you and Zelda blazing across the tabloids, looking as though they'd stepped out of the sun. No grander than your normal human size in life. This makes you accessible, we say. But could we possibly be any crueler? Library and theater, Hill and Ordway, we've thrown them in your face. Old family money. The summit greatness that you were, you said, shut out of and obsessed with. Yes, that's us, vindictive. We waited till they all were dead to raise this statue. The crone who'd been your neighbor and had her fill of late night drunken shouting. The people who recalled the White Bear Yacht Club rooms you trashed the summer before leaving for good, sniffing that you no more belonged here than the Riviera. All the same, you're here because we had the final say. Our sour old moral sense sat on your heart all of the years you drank and binged and spent and wrote how people send themselves to hell, 
watching the glitter as it crashed away, dying for one more story that would sell. That made you send Nick back to the Midwest. It stares down evil through a billboard's eye in the book we make our children read before, or maybe not before, they tear away. Look at those titles, Paradise and Damned. Those short stories, Atonement, Benediction. Green light, we move. The park and landmark center fade to the rear. I haul my mind from fiction into the day's flat facts. You will remain by the park path kept to the straight and narrow, eyes on the river's distance toward away, a sign of contradiction. Ciao, tomorrow. Thank you. Uh, next up we have Nancy Cox. Nancy Cox is a singer and teacher of singing. She has traveled widely on concert tours and performs as a soloist throughout the Twin Cities. Her poems have appeared in a number of small press publications including Milkweed Editions, Loon Feather, Sidewalks, and Kansas Quarterly. She lives in Minneapolis. Please welcome Nancy. Nice to see you all. Thanks to the St. Paul Almanac, and thank you to the Java Express, and thank you all for being here. It's really fun to uh, read from uh, the, the wonderful published book, the St. Paul Almanac. I have two poems to read, and the first one is on page 275, if you want to follow along. Visit from Angels, St. Anthony Park. The woman and the little girl walk toward me, holding hands. Slowly they cross the park, that long green swath of sunlit grass between the evergreens and oaks. Sunlight halos them late afternoon. That could be me and my mother 60 years ago, except did we ever walk in a park together, holding hands? Or that could be my daughter and me, 40 years ago, except together we only went shopping. They could be two angels taking a break, getting some air, stepping lightly across the green, swinging their hands, their hair, their skirts, feet on the earth. Sunlight follows them. Sorry, I lost my place. Sunlight follows them, pushing them on. Brushes the violets, wild chamomile, newly sprung willows at the edge of the green. I watch them walk toward me, carrying light. When I was trying to decide on something else to read, I thought, well, angels could be the theme. So the next one is, the angel of death sings, don't fence me in. The angel of death's nothing more than a cowboy riding a sleek black horse. He pulls up at your door, dismounts, 
doffs his black Stetson, smiles that little boy grin, charms all the relatives who are standing around. A black string necktie clasped by silver, his black silk shirt tucked into his jeans. You can see his muscles moving under the smooth black sleeves. His spurs don't make a sound, striking the wooden floor as he strides toward your room. Evening, ma'am. Ready to go? He lifts you, carries you through the door, swings you onto his horse, and away you gallop, your nervous arms around his beautiful body, the body you longed for all this time. Next up, we have Margaret Hassey. Margaret Hassey, 30-year uh, resident of the Macroveland neighborhood, believes what Brenda Ueland wrote in If You Want What to Write. Everyone is important and has something to say. Between us, her fifth collection of poetry, uh, Between Us is the title, and you know, it's not like a Between Us. We... <clears throat> you guys are the first to know. Um, Between Us, her fifth collection of poetry was published in 2016. Please welcome Margaret. Actually, I really liked that you said that, um, the title of the book being Between Us. It wanted to have that feeling that this is just between us, that intimacy that poetry often has. Um, tomorrow's Mother's Day, um, uh, Ms. Cox, Nancy, uh, just read a poem about her mother. Being here in the uh, railway station here reminds me of my mother, who in 1926, was a Carleton student. Is that feedback uh, a little bit? Yep. Uh, let me try that and see. Um, so in 1926, my mother was a Carleton College student, and uh, she got a ticket on the railway to go out to Glacier Park, where a lot of college students had summer jobs. And I inherited her diary where she talks about that marvelous trip out of St. Paul and across to this wild new national park, Glacier. And I read in her diary, although she's warned me all my life not to hitchhike, she sold her ticket to come back to St. Paul and Carleton and hitchhiked home. <laughs> and she got 246 rides from Glacier Park back to St. Paul. What an adventure, eh? So my first poem, and I'm very happy it's in the beautiful, beautiful edition. They're, they're all beautiful. This is just, um, just spectacular. The artists who are in here, the poets, the fiction writers, the, the storytellers like Klecko, it's marvelous. At any rate, one of the poems I have in here is about my mother, uh, called The Old Fashioned Names of Our Mothers. Our mothers died on the same day. My friends Hertha, my own Gladys. When we cleared out their houses, we did not want to lose any material, not their stained aprons worn to make solitary meals, not bath towels or books kept close like bedside nurses. My friend had no home of her own, her mother's stuff came to live in my basement with my mother's stuff, boxes labeled Hertha's albums, Gladys's letters, 
Hertha's white gloves, Gladys's flower brooches of cloth. Some nights their objects call our mothers back to try on hats, whisper about husbands and children, their lives of heartache and happiness. When we reach out to touch them, they fade like photos, but they leave everything in our hands. Thank you. <laughs> Before I read the other very short poem in the uh, almanac, this year's almanac, I'm going to dip back into a book of mine from a couple of years ago. Um, I've lived in St. Paul 30 years, and half of those years, um, I've had a very uh, difficult dog. Um, and uh, so here's the poem called Living with Damage. Staked out on a chain, the dog Penny pushes her copper-colored nose into the cold wind to learn all the news the air will carry. Baited by a squirrel's smell, she profiles the broad skull that made the vet sigh, pit bull. Let loose, Penny might chase down and damage a deer, a dog, a ball, a child. Therefore, rope, muzzle, cage, constant vigilance. In her troubled past, homeless and broken by blows, Penny ate garbage and roadkill, and now we drag her from gobbling scat that peppers the ground. Her insecurity and poor vision often makes me a stranger. When I wear a hat, she advances full bore, growling. When sense of smell or sight registers friend, abruptly she halts and topples on her haunches, sheepishly slobbers my hands. Through Penny, I learn how trust, hurt and angry, still lays daily claim to a crazy, fierce tenderness on the tough terrain of love. And on the day when my son gouges holes in the window screens, then asks, we'll never give up on her, will we, whatever she does. I put my arms around him saying, never, 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 pounding the words forcefully like a stake deep into ground. So our um, 15 years later, uh, that's a very old dog and a very sick dog. Um, and I think next week she's taking her trip to the vets, her final trip. So this poem I was very happy to have in the book called A Dog's, uh, in the Almanac, called A Dog's Gift. And some of you are reading along. I can see it's on 130. A Dog's Gift. A slow rain unravels to mist. My old dog scratches on the metal of the storm door and the laminate of my heart. In my house coat, I plod to let her in with a soggy smell of rain and damp doggy hair. Her muzzle is white, her hips like mine, bony as a dairy cow's. She lifts each black licorice paw for the pink pads to be dried. I cup her big head in my hands, and suddenly I'm a goddess in her cloudy gray eyes. Thank you. Um, our last reader of the day is Donna Isaac. 
Dinah Isaac, teacher and poet, likes to write poems centering on people and landscapes. Her two published chapbooks are Tommy by Red Dragonfly Press and Holy Comforter by Redbird Chapbooks. Her poetry website is DonnaIsaacPoet.com. Please welcome Donna. Thanks for coming out this beautiful day. I'm going to read two poems. Hopefully I won't go over my time. Uh, the first one is the one in the Albanac. Again, beautiful book. My grandmother used to live in St. Paul, and this is about her. Um, something about the poem that you need to know is that this is about her when she had Louis body dementia. Uh, and so the, for, if you don't know what that is, it's a widely underdiagnosed disease. It's often confused with Alzheimer's or Parkinson's. When researching Parkinson's disease, Dr. Friedrich Louis discovered abnormal protein deposits that disrupt the brain functions of thinking, behavior, and perception. One of those effects can be experiencing complex visual hallucinations, which the poem touches upon. This disease is related to Parkinson's. This is actually a prose poem, though it looks like a narrative. To Grandma Dolores, suffering from Louis body dementia. Remember the good times we had on Magnolia Avenue, where all the St. Paul streets were named after flowers? Yours was the only pink house on the block. Christmas visits were particularly special. Snow boots by the door, cookers bubbling with spaghetti sauce, the secret recipe Rose Totino shared, a rec room filled with ripped Christmas wrappings, and a silver tree that rotated and played Oh Holy Night. Remember that New Year's Eve party when Grandpa dressed up like the New Year's baby, sporting a diaper and a golden sash? He used to chase us around the house, snapping false teeth in hand. That was a little scary. Remember the beauty of your summer garden? Zinnias, snapdragons, and gladiolas? Despite your love of pretty things, I learned you were not always very happy. What made you so sad? Was it not getting to go to school like your little sister Margie? riding the streetcar to pick rags rather than read books? Was it your sad name or having eight children with a husband who liked his bump of Fleischmann's and trips to Lenway's Lounge? In later years, your love for Frank was like a color you wore upon your dress. I happen to know that he could be a hard man to love, especially with a shot glass in hand. You cried after Grandpa passed, wishing you could go too. Now you live in a center called Evergreen. Your lazy boy has a broken footrest, and your eyes, once bright as a winter-fed spring, stare blankly, ancient cataracts sparking like a sputtering lamp. I hope you like the tiny manger scene I brought you from the Vatican. 
I enjoyed our conversation, which seemed to flow like yarn once flew between your knitting needles. It was nice walking down to the lunchroom with you. Everyone in Evergreen seemed kind, even though the fellow with the Roy Orbison sunglasses tried to steal your banana cake. I'm glad you enjoyed the vegetable soup. Wasn't that funny when that one woman tried to take my coat and followed us to your room? She also tried to follow me out, insisting her husband was bringing the car around. Don't forget, though, that Grandpa has been gone now some 25 years, so you could not have seen him singing off-key in a church service while the Lutherans drank near beer and a nurse served cookies. Also, I really don't think that the nurse would threaten you with a kick in the teeth. I'm so sorry you thought you saw a bloody baby's head wrapped in a sweater in the sink, or that you saw Frank sticking his head in a mailbox. How scary. Be assured that these are imaginings, not real. Remember, too, my mom, your eldest girl, is also gone, about four years now. She's laid to rest in the Fort Snelling Cemetery. Please don't worry about the terrorists you see on TV. No need to keep cutting your phone cord. I was real glad to see you, Grandma, because I love you. Remember, some things you think you see aren't real. But I am, and you are, like the Velveteen Rabbit, a story we once read, your love makes me come alive. And I'm just going to read one more poem. When I was recently in Florida on the beach, I was sitting there and thinking that on a beach, you feel like, they're, like you're at the conduit of the world, like, you keep, like you're, everything's open and like everything is connected. So this is a new poem I just wrote. And this is my last poem. It's called Listening. When I look out over the sea, I hear the sounds of all the world. Here we are boundless yet connected by the wash of waves. There is kinship in that. When I touch the water's surface, I feel it tremble in the hand of a distant sister who also hears the rush of universal truth. Come down, come down, all you politicos, warmongers, terrorists, misanthropists, to the seashore. Hear the echoes of voices, history, surrounding this blue churning. Here you may be open to the life force vibrating in your breast and mine. You will hear in the laving waves a chorus, the wail and pitch of our common humanity. You will hear healing waters moving in your temple, sustaining your heart. If you hear all of this, you will not be as on a darkling plain, but on a sea of hope, floating unafraid toward a distant shimmer of light, listening to the harmonious world. Thank you. And uh, thank all of you for coming out today on this uh, gorgeous afternoon to Java Express. It's, uh, it's very good to see you all today. I had a great time. I certainly hope that uh, you all did as well. 
Uh, before we go, I just want to give a big thanks to all the readers and writers who uh, contributed uh, their time and uh, shared their, their stories and poems with us today. Um, all the readings that we do is, is, is really about them, and uh, it's definitely my favorite part of, um, of, of, of putting these on. So thank you all very much for, for sharing your voices and stories today. To hear more stories, learn more about Storymobile, and to find out where we'll be pedaling off to next, visit storymobile.org.